this evening and go to Philippians in chapter number 2. <clears throat> Philippians and chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2, and we're going to start reading there in verse number 25. Philippians chapter number 2 and verse number 25. If you find your place there, let's stand together if you're able to, uh, to honor the reading of God's Word. Philippians chapter number 2 and verse number uh, 25. Philippians 2.25, it reads this way, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all, but was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him, therefore, the more carefully, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me." So it's titled the sermon here tonight, The Sacrifice of a Soldier. Uh, Paul calls him here in this text a fellow soldier. And so we've been learning about examples that we can learn from. And so the character in Philippians we're learning from here tonight is Epaphroditus. And he's a wonderful, wonderful example to learn from. So may God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. And thank you for standing uh, in honor of the scriptures here tonight. <clears throat> June the 6th of 1944 was the largest seaborne invasion in human history, and it took place in Normandy. This was known as Operation Neptune. You probably know it better by D-Day, and most people are familiar with that operation. So the beach was uh, going to be divided into five regions or sectors or sections, Utah, Omaha, Gold, Juno, and Sword. Now, Allied forces of Canadians, British, and Americans were going to storm the beaches, and they were going to land one of the most decisive victories uh, of World War II. Uh, just a wonderful uh, strategic thing in how they did that. Uh, just some year after that happened, the European theater of war was closed down, Hitler was dead, and that part of the World War II, at least, was over in the European theater. So just a decisive victory, and most people think one of the major turning points uh, in the war was that Operation Neptune D-Day. This is one infantryman's account of the day. So this was one person's account of how the day on June the 6th of 1944 went. Here's what he said. The entire beach and hillside was covered with obstacles. A unit of sappers, sapper being a soldier responsible for clearing mines and fortifications, had gone ahead to find where the mines were. 
Those guys were smack in the middle of it. German bullets coming down from up top and out bullets going back the other way. With mortars landing everywhere, they moved in pairs. If one went down, his partner picked up his kit and kept moving. They didn't call for a single medic. They just kept crawling up the beach as far as they could until they couldn't anymore. You could see them pulling themselves up the hillside, even after their legs got shattered from the explosions. I remember all the bodies had marker flags sticking out of them. The dirt was too loose to hold the flags up, and the blast would have knocked them over, so the guys had shot themselves up with morphine and just stuck the flags into their legs. When you got to one that was still breathing, he would tell you where it was safe to step. They were about 25 yards apart. When I got to the base of the hill, I took a quick look back, and that's when I saw it. Those sappers had made a trail with their own bodies. Now, how do you not keep going after something like that? Now, amazing testimony of the day of knowing where the mines were that these individuals had basically died and flagged with their own bodies where the safe trail was for these infantrymen to make it through on D-Day. Many have described this generation as the greatest generation, and I think there's a good reason why that name is, is given. <clears throat> there's an unbelievable debt of gratitude uh, that I think we could never repay uh, to those and everything that they did. We would say of these men that they were good soldiers, right? Uh, we think about a soldier, and we think about uh, in certain stories where you could collect a bunch of stories from all different types of wars that America has been involved in, that there are great illustrations and stories of those who were defined this way, good soldiers. They, they obeyed, they did that which was right, they endured hardness as a good soldier, they suffered, they served, they had their brothers in arms back, they had sorrow, but they kept pressing forward not regarding their own life, but more interested in freedom and, and the symbol of our country and our flag. Now, in like fashion, God has called us to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ, has called us to a, a high calling of serving the Lord by serving His people and, and, and loving Him and putting Him first place in our life. And we have before us a great example of a fellow soldier, uh, and that was this man named Epaphroditus. Now, <clears throat> I know we've talked about him the last couple weeks a little bit, but probably, uh, you're probably one who hadn't sat back and somebody would ask you, what's your favorite Bible character? You probably wouldn't go, Epaphroditus. <laughs> He's got to be up there in the top three, at least. He's up there, right? Uh, actually, most of the time, if you say Epaphroditus, other people go, huh? <laughs> Who? Because he's only mentioned in three verses in the entire Bible, and all three of them are right here in the book of Philippians. And yet, I think he has one of the, the greatest testimonies. Uh, he's got Paul over here, probably one of the greatest Christians to ever live who is just over here bragging him up and down about how wonderful a man of God he is. And I think there's something to learn from this servant, a man who wasn't in the ministry, but a man who just knew how to love and serve people. 
And there's something to be said about Epaphroditus. So, uh, of course, we've entered into a section here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ. And so we've entered into a little bit of a section in Philippians where there is a human illustration that's being pointed to saying, live like that guy. Do like he does. Uh, because sometimes the abstract gets lost. But concrete, we could say, hey, I can do what that person does because I see it, yeah. right? Uh, sometimes it's hard when we're looking and maybe you hear a sermon and you hear it preached and you go, okay, I'm trying to apply it and prove it and do it how I'm supposed to do it in my life. But it's another thing when you have like a big brother or a big sister in Christ and they say, here, let me show you how to do this. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, I, growing up at Cottondale, we didn't really do a lot of soul winning back then. And I was called into the ministry at the time. I was about seventh or eighth grade. And I had never led someone to Christ. I'd never been taught how to lead someone to Christ. I'd never seen anything. We didn't have tracks at the church, which is kind of hard to imagine at this point uh, that we didn't. But I found something in my dad's office, a little trifold pamphlet, which I didn't even know it was called a tract at the time. I found this little pamphlet in the office called the ABCs of Salvation. I said, this is good, right? And so I took it, and we had one of those old copiers, you know, and I copied the front side and the back side and cut them all up and folded them. And I took them to school and started passing them out to my friends. And, and one of them goes, well, I don't know. How, I don't want to read this. What does it mean? And I go, well, I don't really know how to explain it either. So we opened up the little track and I, I read it to him. And we went through it step by step. And I said, well, do you want to do it? And he goes, well, yeah. And I go, okay. That's the first person I ever led the Lord. Now, you, listen, God gave you everything you need to be the Christian you're supposed to be. Yeah, sure but I will say this. It's a lot easier when you have someone who goes, hey, look, let me show you how to lead someone to the Lord. Amen. You know, so we say, here's what's called the Romans Road. Mark these verses in your Bible. And, okay, start by showing them this verse. And then go, you know, when I learned that, when I finally had, I'd been doing it for several years, I finally went to Bible college and learned, they had a whole course there about personal evangelism. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. I never thought about asking that question or presenting it in this way. There's something about having a, a person show you yeah. and, and a human example that you can say, hey, I want to do it like they do it, right? Boy, if you've never been out door knocking before, you know, and sharing the gospel with someone, it can be absolutely intimidating. And then you go with someone who's just been doing it for years and you're just like bold as a lion, you know, because you're like, I'm not saying anything. He's saying it, you know, <laughs> you just go up there and they knock on the door and you're like, should we run or what's going on? And they come to the door and start talking and and you watch them, right? Learn by observance. It, it, boy, there's something to be said about seeing it. So Paul here, he told the, the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me. As I follow Christ, there's, there's, listen, I'm not leading you astray. I'm following the Lord. And if you need a, an example to look to in areas of, of soul winning and finances and marriage and these other areas, just look at my life and I'll help lead you in the right direction, right? Yeah. So Paul here, he points to human examples. He points to himself and he says, if you want to know how to suffer, look at me because I've had a lot of that. He says, if, if you want to know how to be a, a young man uh, in the ministry, look at Timothy. Because yeah. Timothy is a young man who, uh, listen, people ought not discount him just because of his age. And 
We talked about that some even last week, that sometimes we can look at somebody and our first opinion makes it where we just discount everything they're about to say. They're too young, they're too old, they're too much this ethnicity, they're too poor, they're too rich, they're whatever the case might be, right? Uh, teenagers, be careful. Don't just click because somebody's old. Okay? A lot of these people in the church have a lot that they can teach you, a lot that can be learned. Um, I, I really believe a healthy church is a multi-generational church, right? It's not just a bunch of old people. It's not just a bunch of young people. It, it's a good mix of everyone. Why? Because, it, it, let's be honest, the older we get, the more we can become a little crusty sometimes Amen. in our attitude, and we get stuck in our ways, and, and the younger people are, they help us not be too crusty, right? But young people are dumb. <laughs> And they need to have their reins pulled in sometimes and say, listen here, youngin, that isn't going to work, right? So we need each other, and there's something to be learned from every generation. So Paul looks at Timothy, and, and, and it helps us understand, hey, don't discount a young man just because he's young. There's, there's something to be learned from everybody. All truth is ultimately God's truth. And so this week he points to a, another man named Epaphroditus, and he says, if you want to know how to serve well, look at this guy. If you want to know how to be a, a fellow soldier in the Lord's army and what it means to actually be a believer who knows how to serve and work and, and, and just be a layman in the church and do the work of God, look at Epaphroditus. So there's something that's going to be applicable for us tonight because I understand you're not in the ministry, in the sense of being a full-time person as a pastor or a youth pastor or whatever, but you're part of the ministry of Bible Baptist Church. You're yeah. members here and you're involved in what this church is, right? We, we never want to be a cruise ship where everyone's just taking it easy. This is a battleship and everyone's got a station and a job to do, right? And so uh, this is a great illustration of saying we can all learn how to serve better from Epaphroditus. So let's take a look at this man and some of the illustrations that he gives us. And Paul points to uh, some of the wonderful things that Epaphroditus does. The suffering and sacrifice and service of a good soldier. Now, Epaphroditus is only found in the book of Philippians. I already mentioned that. He's found in chapter 2 here. And then he's mentioned again at the very end of the book in chapter 4, verses 18 and verse 23. Those are the only times he's ever mentioned in the entire Bible. Now, Epaphroditus, just to tell you who he is, the church sent Epaphroditus to go from the church at Philippi to Paul in Rome and deliver a message from the church. They had some questions and some concerns and that's why Paul wrote the book of Philippians. Okay? Uh, he wrote it in response to these questions and concerns that they are asking him while he's in prison in Rome. They send Epaphroditus to go ask these questions. And they also send with Epaphroditus a gift. Okay? Uh, it actually talks about that in chapter 4 and verse number 18 that they were bringing a gift. And it was uh, something that was there. Now, again... Uh, verse number uh, 30, this might sound almost harsh, uh, but he says there, to supply your lack of service toward me. Like Paul in the letter, <laughs> he's bragging on Epaphroditus by saying this, Epaphroditus has been going above and beyond what y'all sent him here to do, 
And he has been helping me and ministering to me and serving in the gospel ministry here. And he's been a blessing. And he is supplying what you could not provide. Now, it might sound like Paul's like dogging on him like, yeah, I wish y'all had sent a little bit more. It, it almost sounds that way, but that's not what Paul means here. Uh, Paul is basically saying this. You sent what you could, but there's some things you couldn't send. And Epaphroditus is supplying those things. Fellowship, love, encouragement. Those are things that can't happen over a long distance correspondence like that. But Epaphroditus is supplying the things that you couldn't send. You sent some physical aid, some money, and some, uh, some things that were helpful, but Epaphroditus is supplied. So Epaphroditus is somebody that was sent uh, as a messenger for uh, the church at Philippi. Now, uh, we obviously know this also. Epaphroditus was a godly man because of the illustration that Paul gives him, particularly in verse 25. Now, he gives him four... Um, explanations, fourth qualifications of things uh, where he says, listen, Epaphroditus is this. Now, this is what I really want to look at, these four things where he says, if you're, if you're going to be a good soldier, this is what you look like. And he points to Epaphroditus. So in verse number 25, he mentions first that he's a brother. He's saved. So the first thing he looks at him, he says this, I'm thankful for Epaphroditus because he is my brother we're, we're not related. Actually, I'm a Jew and he's a Gentile. There's no blood relation. There's no ethnicity connection between us. We're not even from the same country. And yet we are brothers. Amen. There's a bond that sticks closer than blood, right? The family of God. And so the first thing Paul really points out here is just this fact that he knew how to be a believer. And so he was saved, but he was acting like a brother. And he called him that. Hey, we're brothers in Christ. The second thing that he mentions about him, again in verse number 25, is he says that he was a companion in labor. Now, the word companion there uh, kind of has the idea of this, a co-worker. So when you think of a co-worker, you think of somebody who works at the same place that you work at, right? Okay, this is my co-worker. We both work at McDonald's. And we have some of the same shifts, and we work together, and he's my co-worker, right? It would be odd to think of somebody as a co-worker if they didn't work at the same place that you worked at. But here he says this companion, this co-worker, employed in the same business. Well, what was he a companion in? Well, the work of the ministry. So when he looked at Epaphroditus, he was saying this, I've been employed in preaching the gospel and Epaphroditus is doing the same thing. Now, we might do it in a different way. I might be the preacher, and he might be the one that's cleaning the toilets. But we are both in the work of the gospel together. Now, that ought to explain a lot of New Testament church life right there. That God's given us different functions and different abilities, but we all are co-workers together in one job that's trying to be accomplished. What is that? The gospel. Amen. Preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Teaching all things whatsoever commanded you. Seeing them baptized. Man, that is the work of the ministry. And we're all employed in that. Okay? It's, it's, uh, sometimes we get a faulty thinking sometimes in our head where we attend church and the pastor does the ministry. 
take that thought and go throw it in the trash can, okay? Because we together do the work of the ministry. It's all of us together, okay? Um, the, uh, it's one of the reasons why we have people that join the church and stuff, and I always tell them this. I hate using the term church member because it sounds like we're like a country club. <laughs> Pay your membership dues, you know? It's just... Ugh, I wish we could come up with a better term. But everyone knows what you're talking about when you say that. So it's just a, the, what you use to explain it, you know. I'll say this. We are very um, blessed as a church to have the opportunity to serve in the ministry together. It is much better to view what we're, what we're doing here and what God's called us to do like a, a general leading an army to do a, a, a campaign. We'll go into battle together. We're talking about soldiers here tonight. More than it is to think about spectators watching a play. That's good. There's a huge difference between the two. And a lot of, listen, a lot of churches, mm, I try not to harp on this too much. A lot of churches today have kind of developed this mentality. We'll give you what you want and uh, just show up. And, and if you want it this way, we'll give it to you this way. If you don't want it that way, we won't give it to you that way. And you got 10% of the talent on the platform and 90% of the church just sitting there enjoying 10% of the people ministering. Come on. And the whole aspect of the church has become this thing where we show up and we're just a number and we punch our card and we go one time a week and we, we're there and we watch a show and then we go home and we pat ourselves on the back because we did church. Come on. That's become a big part of our culture is. But listen... Mm, some people, probably music is one of the biggest areas with this. Uh, some people are like, well, why don't we have a praise team? You know, praise teams are a big thing. I'm not, I'm not saying they're unscriptural or that I'm down on them. But here's the main reason why we don't do a, a praise team. Is we're not trying to select just a handful of people that are going to come up here and everyone just listen to them sing. Well, well if you could kind of view it this way, our whole mentality behind it is we're all singing the audience it's not a choir singing to the audience. We're the choir singing to the audience. And God becomes the audience. Boy, it changes your mentality of what church is all about if we view it as this is a place where we are getting geared up in a service to go do the work of the ministry together. Right? It's not, a, it's not a form of entertainment. It's not a form of uh, obligation. It's a thing where we come together to be equipped and do the work of the Lord together. You say, well, whose job is it to lead people to the Lord? Yours. Amen. Mine. Ours. Yeah. Whose job is it to grow the church? Well, it's mine. It's yours. It's all of our job. Yeah. Well, if the church grows, you'll get all the credit. No, you get the credit. It's, it's our church. We're, we're growing this thing together. <laughs> Listen, that, that's kind of the whole idea. And I'm telling you, here lately, some people are talking about, man, you really got that thing growing. I'll well, be honest with you, I've I pastored for eight years. I had the opportunity to go back to that church today, out in Kaufman, almost eight years. And you say, well, the church there, did it grow? bit. It was grinding, man. You know, when we got there, was about 20 people. When we left, there was about 40 people. 100% growth. But that was grinding, right? Man, just working for seven years. Finances tied all the time and working and grinding and building it up. You say, well, when you came here, you, you changed a bunch of stuff. Actually, I'd say this. I probably worked harder there than I did here. I, I'm not trying to say like I'm being lazy here. I'm saying is, is there, there were less people that were involved in some of the work. That's good. 
And here, it's been a weird thing where I'm like, oh, we got to get ready for this fellowship. And the ladies really had to break me of this. I need to plan this, this. And they go, preacher, just take it easy. We got it covered. <laughs> Are you sure? Are you sure? But make sure it's covered. You say, well, what's the difference? The, the big difference, to be honest with you, of why I think we're seeing some growth here has nothing to do with me. And it has everything to do with a church that's caught a vision. Has everything to do with the church that says to their friends and family, you need to come and see. Amen. Come and see what God's doing. Amen. That, that really is how the work of the ministry is supposed to go forward. So to say this, we're co-workers. Right. We're co-laborers together in this thing of the ministry. There's not one part of the body, according to 1 Corinthians, that's more important than the other. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, where it talks about spiritual gifts. The, the, the eye needs the hand, that needs the liver, that needs the head, that needs the feet. The whole body needs every part of the body to function, or else if you just have one big eye, it doesn't work very well. No. Paul uses a, a very visual illustration about this big eyeball just floating there. If everyone in the church was exactly the same, and it was all a one-man show, it wouldn't function. Nope. It wouldn't function. The thing would just absolutely tank. So Paul says this. Here's a wonderful blessing about Epaphroditus. He gets the idea of the ministries, not all about Paul doing the ministry. Yeah. He understands that there is a work for Epaphroditus to do too. And Epaphroditus might not be the guy that's writing the letters and preaching the sermons, but what he does is just as important. Amen. And if Epaphroditus doesn't do his work, then what I'm doing won't have near the effect. Won't have near the effect. Listen, whatever God's given you as a job here at Bible Baptist Church, do it with excellency. Amen. You say, well, I, I only work in the nursery once or twice a month. Then do it with excellency. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Do everything with, with, as unto the Lord, because that's who you're really doing Amen. it for. Right? You're not doing it for the nursery court. You're not doing it for Miss Karen. You're not doing it for me. You're not doing it for someone else in the church. Do it as unto the Lord because that ultimately is the one that we're serving. And let us do the work of the ministry all together. Big battleship mentality. All hands on deck. Here we go. Let's do the work of the ministry. And that, that was one thing you pointed to Epaphroditus. He gets the idea there is a need uh, for him to be a companion in labor, a co-laborer. Okay. The third thing is this, again in verse number 25, is that he was a fellow soldier. A fellow soldier. Well, what does that have to do with? Well, as we talked about kind of in the introduction, one of the big things about a soldier is this. Somebody who is willing to sacrifice their own individuality for the collective cause. Yeah. A soldier is one who is willing to lay down their life so that there can be collective victory. There's a purpose, a cause that is greater than even their life. It would cause a guy to run up a beach where there's machine gun fire going around and sticking flags in his leg to mark where mines are so that it... Well, what would cause a guy to do that? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons we could point to camaraderie of the man to his left and his right are depending on him, right? There's a lot of things that we could point to. But deep down in our soul, I think we understand the main reason he did it is for country, yeah. for, for love of America, Amen. right? That there was that drive that was there. Even if it wasn't present at that very moment, it's what drove him to enlist and, and to go and to be engaged in that warfare. And, and so when we think about the work of the ministry... And we think about a soldier, 
We have to understand this. Every time there's an example of a soldier and it's tied in with the work of the ministry, it's tied in with believers, it always has to do with this. Endurance, hardship, sorrow. It's not easy. Okay, There are moments for the soldier where there's the award ceremonies and everything's great. And I'm telling you, one day in glory, that'll be awesome. Amen. But for right now, we're in the trenches. Right? We're in the thick of it. We're in spiritual warfare right now. Right? We're, we're battling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and prisons of high places. I'm telling you, there's a, a, a Satan has a roaring lion seeking about whom he may devour. We need to put on the whole armor of God. 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Paul's example here of this idea of a soldier, it always comes back to this. If you're going to be in the work of the ministry, you need to get a backbone like a railroad iron. Because you are going to get hurt. Mm -hmm. If you deal with people, they'll hurt you. Yep. And sometimes the people that need help the most hurt you the most. Yep. You ever have an animal that's wounded and it's cornered up somewhere and you go over there and you just want to help the thing? Raccoons are the worst. <laughs> God made them cute for a reason because otherwise... They got a bad attitude all the time. You got a raccoon over there, and man, he's got his arm all tore up and bloodied up. And you go over there, and you're like, "Oh, fluffy little raccoon, I just want to help you and get you, you know, bandaged up, take care of you." And what is that raccoon gonna do? <laughs> you know, I. Um, it's a great illustration with an animal because people that are hurt respond the same way. Hurting people hurt. Now. And sometimes when you go to help people that are hurt, they'll hurt you. They'll lash out at you. And sometimes if you're going to do the work of a ministry, it, it, it can hurt mm -hmm. quite literally sometimes. Yeah. You go work in the nursery a little bit, you know, and, and kids can be rough in the nursery sometimes. That's why I don't work in the nursery. I'm not man enough to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Some of you ladies that work at the nursery, God bless you, you know. If you have that thing loaded down with kids and, you know, get them on or in there and have a couple girls that are fighting over a, a doll or something, man, it's rough. You know, you say, I'm just trying to help them out. And the girl kicked me in the shin, you know. It can quite literally hurt sometimes. But I tell you, in any aspect of the ministry that you're going to work in, even in a, a small country church like this, you're going to get hurt. If, if you're going to put yourself out there to love and serve people, yep. you're going to get hurt. And you need to know this, endure hardness as a good soldier. Amen. Amen. Don't let the bad behavior of someone who's hurt deter you from continuing to serve. Because in our human flesh, let's be honest here, when somebody lashes out at us when we try to help them, we go, Fine! Have it your way then, I'm done, not messing with it anymore. Preacher, I'm quitting this job because nobody appreciates me, right? And it hurts and it's no fun. You need to know going into it, there's going to be disappointment. There's going to be hardships. And it doesn't matter what aspect of the ministry you're involved with because ministry is people. Yes. So there's going to be hurt. 
And I think this is one of the wonderful blessings when Paul looked at Epaphroditus and he said this, he's a fellow soldier, which I know this, he's got my six. He's a good soldier. He knows how to hold rank and he knows how to, to, to go into battle and he knows that there's going to be bullets flying and sometimes we're going to get hit and sometimes that means he's going to have to carry me and I'm going to have to carry him and we just keep moving forward for the cause of Christ and there's hardships and there's difficulties and sometimes there's late nights and there's tears and it's difficult but that is the work of the ministry and he is a soldier who I know will endure hardness. He's a good soldier. Amen. It's a, a wonderful testimony. The, the final thing that he mentions here about Epaphroditus is that he was a servant. In verse number 25 and again in verse number 30, he mentions to him ministering to Paul. Now, you say, well, what does that mean? Well, if you read verses 26 down through verse number 29, you would read that Epaphroditus almost died of sickness. Now, I'm not talking about like men when we get sick and we're like, honey, take it, I'm going to die, and we're being dramatic. <laughs> I'm talking about like literally Epaphroditus was on death's door. And apparently Paul was sick as well because he mentions it in, in the, the context there. But Paul says this, even when Epaphroditus was sick, uh, he, he didn't check out. He still was serving. He still was helping. He did what he could even when he got physically limited. Now, this is a, a wonderful illustration of being a servant. Somebody who is willing to spend and be spent even when they're tapped out. And Epaphroditus is somebody who said this, there's a cause that's greater than my life and he was willing to just serve and serve and give and give and give. You know, we are called to be soldiers good soldiers in the person of Jesus Christ. Good soldiers of Jesus Christ. We're part of a family of God. There's a bond here that's thicker than blood. Right. Hey, brother, sister in Christ. Come on now, there's a thickness that's there that God gives us. There's a companion in labor. We come here and we go this, especially around VBS time. Boy, it's fun to see that, isn't it? Hey, shoulder to shoulder, hey, we're, we're co-laborers. You're doing this and I'm doing that and he, she's doing that, but we all are trying to accomplish a singular purpose here. We're working together. We're fellow soldiers. Bullets are flying and people are getting hurt, but we know this. Hey, medic, just wound up, help that person there, help this person there. And as we continue to help one another and minister to one another and keep moving forward, and here's the final thing, just be a servant. Seek first to serve, not to be served. Seek to, to love people and serve people. And I'm telling you, you will have a wonderful illustration in a pretty unknown character in the Bible named Epaphroditus. But Paul stopped for just a moment. He said, hey, church at Philippi, I just want to let you know you sent a good guy here. And he has been exactly what a believer ought to be. And he points to him and says, be like that. So I encourage you here tonight, church, be like that. Amen. Be an Epaphroditus at Bible Baptist Church. Let that be your testimony. Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation here tonight. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the word. We ask that you'll bless now as we respond to it. Uh, Lord, no preaching is given for our um, consideration or entertainment. It's given for uh, our obedience. And so, Lord, I pray that we would not only hear the word, but then heed the word and obey it. 
And so, Father, bless now this invitation. And Lord, may you have preeminence. Help us to be the right kind of church, God, a church that knows how to serve and love one another. It's in your name we do pray.